Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. I'll never get used to that. I know, it's weird. Uh, it's handy, though. I don't know a better way to do it. There's a the podcast I listen to, they recently won, they've recently started doing some remote recording that they didn't used to do, and they do it like, because um, sometimes they leave bits in, like we do. In fact, this, that's kind of where I got the idea to do the outtakes at the start of the episodes. They do, um, they count to six, mm-hmm. but they... They go like one, two, three, four, five, six, and the second person comes in on four, five, six. Okay. And then you, I guess, then you match it up orally. But the, I yeah, guess yeah, yeah. I like the claps because they give us that really clear spike on the. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when when I was doing the editing, it's it's quite, makes it quite easy to figure out, um, you know, to 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 do it on on Audacity. It just makes it nice and clean. It's the 27th of March, 2018. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about the LGBTIQA+, etc. alphabet soup, and who gets to be a part of it. Uh, but before we get started, just to note that uh, we're actually recording this episode a week earlier than we normally would. Uh, that is because I am going on a trip on Friday. I am heading to Spain. Um, my uh, partner, as my, my partners, uh, James and Martin, are involved in roller derby, the sport roller derby. James plays and Martin is a referee. And it's the Men's World Cup in Barcelona next weekend. And so James is playing for Team Australia and Martin is uh, refereeing oh, wow. as an international official. Uh, That's so amazing. We're going, we're going on a holiday to Europe. Um, well, I'm going on a holiday to Europe. They're going to they compete in a sporting competition. Um, do you go and heckle? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 What, what else would I do? <laughs> I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to wear, you know, really tacky Australian clothes, you know, colours and, and, uh, and, and yell abuse. That's, that's my plan. Totally. Good. Get drunk as, on the as sidelines. Is, as is the Australian way. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what we have to do. I have to, I have to represent Ben. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just like paint your face, 
scream out, you know, Aussie, 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 whatever yeah. it is. Whatever get drunk, throw beer know. cans onto the track, you know, that oh kind my, of stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, but no, we're spending a week and a bit in Spain, and then we go to Scotland for a few nights to see Martin's family, and then we're going to Germany for a little bit. Uh, Lovely. Uh, so, it's going to be a great trip. Uh, so, uh, forgive us, please, uh, if the gay world explodes, if something horrible happens in the next week and we're, we're not in a position to comment on it. Or something amazing. Or, or something amazing, to- totally. That's um, uh, The gay world could explode with too- glitter and... We explode and- with glitter, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, I'm sure that's what'll happen. So, we'll be back with our hot analysis, our, our lukewarm take on that glitter explosion in uh, several weeks' time. Uh, once Simon's back. So look forward to that. Oh, I, I, I look forward to it, Ben. I hope you look forward to it too. The alphabet soup, or simply the acronym, for example, the expression LGBTIQ, has increasingly become a way to describe the queer community. The alphabet soup allows for a bringing together of queer interests while also acknowledging the diversity of the different identities that exist within the community. Yet, as the acronym has become more common, it has also become a site for contention. What was previously LGBT has become LGBTI, then LGBTIQ, and then LGBTIQA, etc, etc, etc. With a growing proliferation of identities around gender and sexuality, there has also been a growing demand that these identities are incorporated into the acronym. Underlying these discussions has been a broader debate, one about who gets to be part of the queer community and who doesn't. The recent demand to add the letter K to the acronym, for example, saying that people who are kinky are part of the queer community, has been extremely contentious. Uh, While some have argued that kinky practices are stigmatised and therefore kinky people are queer, others have said that straight people practising kink just haven't experienced the same level of discrimination as other queers and therefore don't belong. So today we want to ask some big questions about who belongs in the queer community, who is queer and who isn't, and does it really even matter? So, Simon, let's start. What do you think of the alphabet soup? Is it a useful way to talk about the queer community? Um, It's funny. uh, I was just thinking about this before uh, and about my use of the alphabet soup and LGBTIQ, which is probably how I most frequently use it. And I realized, like, I have this, I have this, like, part of me that viscerally hates it with a passion. I just can't stand it. And I can't stand the debates around it, even though maybe they're useful debates to be having um, because I just find part of me just, you know, it finds that getting stuck in language debates can often be really stifling uh, and can sort of cover up some of the bigger issues that are going on. Uh, but at the same time, when I can't stand it, I use it all the time um, because it's kind of useful and it's, it's something that is, that can, that can be used as a quiet, as a quick cover all to describe particular things. And so while I find it frustrating and I, and I and I kind of don't want to get caught into the debate about whether it should be LG, LGBT or LGBTIQ or LGBTI or whatever it is that different people want. At the time, other times, I'll probably go back through my writing that I've done in particular, and I see that I use it all over the place because it becomes easy because it's easy because it's easy to use, and because you can sort of use it as a describer. It's less sometimes less contentious than if I just use queer or if I use gender and sexually diverse, which is another term that people like to use. Well, I, mean, I was about to say you like we've. We've sort of used, in some, you know, ironically, perhaps in some ways, we've used queer and LGBTIQ or some form of the alphabet sort of interchangeably. We have in we the have. in the opening um, to this to this episode and to this discussion. 
other yeah, than... Yeah, we certainly haven't. I didn't even think about that when I was when, when we were when we were just doing the opening or when I was yeah, writing t- the Oh opening. my God, it's like all I could think about <laughs> while, we were, while we were saying it. Um, knowing that we'd, we'd come back to talk about it. Uh, you, you said that you think it's just kind of easier in some contexts than using queer... Like, when? What context? How, how is it useful? Uh, I think it's... Specifically. I mean, I think it's useful because queer is quite contentious itself. And so... Uh, frequently, I think I, I think that queer has particular connotations that I often quite like. But when I'm writing, for example, for mainstream publications, they don't like it as much, and so it's easier to just to fall into the LGBTIQ thing because it's it's more it's more uh, sort of commonly used. But then maybe that's just a that's just not just that's maybe that's not a me liking it more. It's maybe it's just fitting into a narrative that. You know, fitting fitting into a sort of a, a language um, paradigm that that you know is probably it's not what I would normally use. Um, could, you, could you be more specific? So, sorry to really kind of press you on this. I feel like you, you're talking around it a little bit. Like like what? Could you give a specific instance of a time when you would have used queer, but instead used LGBTI for a specific oh, reason? A specific or a, instance. Or a, it doesn't need to be real, but like the like the kind of instance where that would happen. I'm just. I suppose oh, I'm, I'm trying tr- to get a sense of what the con- the different yeah, connotations yeah, yeah. of those things are. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think about what the different connotations of them are too. Um, I think that I would use them in more. I would use LGBTIQ in more formal settings than I would if I was talking uh, queer politics. As what we do you are mean in this by sense. formal settings? So, for example, I'm a member of the LGBTIQ Ministerial Advisory Council in the ACT, uh, which is a body that advises. Uh, the 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 federal uh, sorry the state the ACT state government on on LGBTIQ matters, and I think even reflexively in that space I would use even though it's it's in the title of the organisation which you know makes sense even though in reflexively in that space I would automatically use it because it's it's more it's it's become a language of that sort of policy making discussion in those spaces whereas if mm, I'm talking yes. politics if I'm talking politics uh, between, with you I'm more likely to use the term queer or if I'm talking about queer theory I'm obviously more likely to use the term queer um, and so I think that and I think that's part of my critique is sure, that it's like small p politics versus capital p politics yeah yeah and so probably the capital- probably the distinction that I would use as well like the I would use lgbtiq more in like organizational contexts when talking about yeah like policy stuff that, that yeah kind of i think i think that's a good and so when i was talking about sort of mainstream publications i know that for example i've written for the guardian in the past and they use lgbt normally as their or lgbti as their standard have they ever uh, corrected something to a different one in uh yeah so they do correct it they all, so they stick to a standard and i can't i'm just trying to remember whether it's lgbt or God, lgbt so that's so interesting like the yeah. idea that like this could be a matter of style for publication yeah yeah so for so like, for that we publication use lgbt and it's like what do you know what that do you know what you're saying <laughs> yeah and so I mean, and all publications have this you know these style guys but yeah the guardian i know because i've had i've had stuff where I, I would normally so if i'm writing for the guardian because it's that or writing on a on, on queer policy issues, I would normally, in that sense, revert to using LGBT, and I would normally use LGBTIQ, and I and I know that they that they edit that out to make it. I think it's LGBT, um, but yeah, I mean, it is fascinating how they have that style guide there. But I'm just that's another example of talking about sort of you know mainstream publications where I would where I'm not talking about queer theory or queer politics. I'm talking about policies on same sex marriage or something like that, and so I revert more to that sort of LGBTI language 
Mm. Um, but at the same time, I just in, in many ways I can't ha- I, I can't stand it. But then I have I, I have issues with the term queer at times as well. I have issues with the term gay. I have issues with the term gender and sexually diverse. Which you know I have issues with all of these things, and so I just don't think that. There is a perfect, this is the thing I've sort of come to, I've sort of spent years trying to strive to find what is the perfect way to describe the queer community in inverted brackets. And every time there's always a problem with everything, you know, and so it's very difficult to um, to find a perfect because I don't think it exists because everybody has an issue with every, with every term and in different kinds of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would feel similarly. I mean, to me, there's it, it sort of lines up to, this question lines up to some extent with, uh, questions about identity politics generally that there are times when no, and it, I don't want to say it lines up 100% because like obviously I think the acronym is a specific issue that's not the same as the issue of identity politics but yeah, yeah. I think it sort of arises from it in some ways um, there are times when the acronym is useful to kind of define our politics in particular ways to to I, th- I think when we look at specific letters it's, I mean, most notably kind of uh, B, T, and I. Um, I think it has at best been a useful way to really specifically keep those, the, the issues of, of people who fall into those letters uh, on the on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ha- actually actually naming them every time we say the acronym, I think is a helpful way to, to do that. You know, we can do things like, uh, if we're going to include I in the acronym, then we need to care about intersex issues, you know, for example. Like, I feel like I was sort of wincing every time we talk, we've we've talked about, like, queer community and, and uh, LGBTIQ community. I mean, as you know, it's kind of a bugbear of mine that um, mm. we don't conflate community with demographic, which I think is is often um, what we do generally in, in queer spaces. But I think specifically when it comes to the acronym, the idea that there is a, a gay community is, is a laughable enough question to me, let alone the idea that there is an LGBTIQ community. Uh, so I think the acronym can be useful as long as we put the kind of the caveats on it that are things like we are describing people who fit into certain groups. It's not a cohesive community there are you know ways and spaces in which it's useful but we shouldn't pretend it's useful beyond those things yeah yeah and i think that there's uh, a whole range of nuances around that as well i mean going to your point about it uh being potentially a way to sort of continue to name particularly the sort of b b t and i um in relation to you know ensuring that there's sort of that those issues are constantly included i think that i mean there's a potential alternative to that which i think uh you know we had morgan carpenter on our live show at the start of the year and i know that he makes a lot of critique about the inclusion of i because i think the inclusion of i in particular is a very australian thing it doesn't happen so much in the us and europe um and some of his critiques are that uh we sort of include I, but it's it's a way to make a, make the rest of the community, the community in inverted commas there, um, feel good without actually doing anything about it. So, you know, we can include I, but we're not actually caring about intersex issues, but we include the I. Uh, and, and, and quite frequently, I think that quite frequently, uh, the bigger issue there is that uh, it is often used, the acronym is often used as a way, as sort of like a, as a, as a, as a way to describe a community that doesn't necessarily exist, either doesn't necessarily exist, or to describe a community when you're not actually talking about everybody in that in who is in the acronym that you're describing. So uh, often, I think we're talking about 
LGBTIQ issues when actually you're talking about gay and lesbian issues or you're talking about gay male issues or you're talking about issues for trans people and there's this need there's a, there's there's potential value in clumping people together to recognize a group of people who have um suffered in discrimination based on gender and sexuality and that at acknowledging that that discrimination is linked that the the discrimination that is that that trans people face is linked to the discrimination that gay males face that lesbian women face um, and there are, um, you know, similar root causes behind those, and I think that the acronym sort of helps with that. But sure, sure. I mean, I think, like, w- I think we should sort of come back to that point about, like, the shared experiences potentially or shared causes of, of, like, why it makes sense to kind of group these letters together at all. But just to kind of go to the point again about the value... Uh, or otherwise of including them. I mean, something that Morgan also said uh, at the at the panel was he 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 certainly didn't, in my view, at least come down hard either way on including them or not including them. He acknowledged that um, the acronym is the reason that intersex voices were amplified in the way that they yeah, were yeah. at the at the Better Together conference. But that a downside of that is is potentially that um, intersex people are exposed to uh homophobia in in ways that they might not otherwise be mm. um so i think that's you know that that to me is kind of a, a nice um uh clear pros and cons sort of summary i think for for at least as i understood what what he was saying i think though that the i don't i, I feel like these problems to to take the term like queer community quote unquote queer community like i think that the problems are even worse there mm. you know I, I don't think that that's a solution by any means um yeah and i have previously thought that this was a, a you know in my naive self thought that this was a great a great solution let's just let's just use the word queer but i agree that there are a whole range of problems there um and a whole range of connotations that people don't necessarily want to connect with in many different kinds of ways well, it's also to me just like so vague as to be almost useless, like in a, like not, I mean, in that kind of policy and, and capital P political space that we're talking about. I mean, you sort of need things to be defined a bit to get anything done, to be able to put together, for example, a ministerial advisory committee that has a specific terms of reference and has a specific scope and, and is looking at specific issues if you were going to say queer, you would then essentially have to define it probably as what would effectively be LGBTIQ anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't want people to think that I yeah that that I'm saying that like queer is a is a kind of better alternative to LGBTIQ because I think in that context it's it's probably a worse one. I think that LGBTIQ is is probably the the better option. And I, I suppose for me the questions here are around well I don't know like. It, it's almost like there are two sets of questions, but they're all tangled up with each other. You know, one of them about, like, what is most useful, and then another one about, like, how we can, I guess, conceptualize our communities at all, and what happens when those two sets of issues, so, like, what is useful in a policy sense, and then, like, what is useful to talk about in a context like this, where we're, like, the kind of lowercase p queer politics... Um, what happens when those two sets of issues get conflated or get kind of mixed up in each other in ways I think that can like damage outcomes on both sides? 
I don't know if I'm quite making sense. I feel like yeah, I'm no, making sort of a convoluted point. Ex- but explain yourself. Explain like explain damage, yourself. Explain yourself um, a little bit more. Sorry. Yeah, uh, sure. Ex- well, like, like when you say damage, like what, what's give it? Maybe you know, going back to you asking me for an example. What kind of examples are you thinking of? Sure. When you're so, thinking of this? so if we think about this, like I can't think of a, a better way to describe it than that. that lowercase p and capital P politics thing that we were talking about before. And yep, if, yep. If, I, I'm not sure if people will quite understand what we mean by that, but I think I would characterize that difference as capital P politics being like party political processes, policy, kind of concrete policy initiatives, things that happen in the kind of public political sphere that that involve bureaucracies, that involve government, that involve the public service, that involve organizations, that sort of thing. And then lowercase p politics, I would think of as like theoretical space in which we have ideas about politics and about groups and about, I don't know, what we want the world to be, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so both of those things are to some degree the domain of this podcast, but, you know, we, we probably tend to be more interested in, in the latter. And I think that when we try to... I think it's important to make a distinction between those two spheres because when we... when when we conflate them or when we don't make that distinction, I think that that just highlights the ways in which queer and LGBTIQ or some form of the acronym are both imperfect and are both not useful. So LGBTIQ as a term for describing like things like root causes of oppression and things like, I don't know, like what a queer politics might look like in some theoretical way. Like you just quickly kind of reach the limits of where that makes sense, you know? Yeah, because, absolutely. Because, yeah, like it it doesn't make sense to draw hard boundaries around those sorts of theoretical spaces. But uh, by the same token and in, in reverse, you know, by saying that like queer is better you know, as soon as, as I was saying, as soon as you try to apply that to a capital P politics space, it doesn't, it doesn't work either. Um, so I think that there's, there is, uh, to me, one of the things that this conversation highlights is the, uh, the value of having different conceptual frameworks for different spaces that we operate in. Does that make sense? It, no, that makes much more sense. And, 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 and I, and I agree because yeah, you, you're right. Like, you know, I, you know, in my in in my world, you know, reading academic material, you know, we're having theoretical discussions about queer politics. The sort of the acronym becomes useless very quickly because it's setting setting definable boundaries and it sets those limits very clearly. And you know, it depends on how many letters you're using, and you also have to spend all your time defining those what the different terms are within it, and it becomes very convoluted. Whereas in a space like that, having queer and being able to define queer and and using that is is useful. Or specifically focusing on gay and lesbian or or, or trans or whatever issues or whatever it is that you're focusing on your in your material. So yeah, I, I 100% um, agree. And what I, what I was interested then, I was thinking about is, you know, so some of this sort of came up um, because of debates within sort of in in gay media, queer media, whatever you want to call it, around the acronym. And you see this sort of flare up. And, and in the introduction, we spoke about the uh, the debate about including K in the in the acronym to to include kink. And this is something we actually spoke about in an episode a couple of weeks ago. We had a question about it. Yeah, um, and yeah. so, and and, I, and maybe this is this can lead on to this question of you know are these sorts of debates you know should K be in 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 the LGBTIQAKP whatever acronym is that a useful debate for us to be having or is it is that a space where we shouldn't 
be having this debate. We should be having, you know, we could be using queer to to des- to describe something more broadly. I think it's absolutely a useful debate to be having because it has material outcomes. You know, when to to like as imperfect as the world of and I, I, I'm going to keep going back to this distinction, but as imperfect as the world of capital P politics is, like that's you know that it has real outcomes for people. It it, it has real impacts on on people's lives. And, you know, to take, for example, the, the Better Together conference, which I think is, was sort of an example that we went to when we were discussing this uh, last time in that, that question, uh, in response to that question, the ways that issues... So, who, who is included at an event like that is dictated by how we define the acronym. And what is included at the event has a big impact on, like, what kind of policy uh, possibilities come out of that, what what sort of politicians who might be there see, what uh, activists and advocates see as a priority, what kind of broader frameworks for achieving change kind of come out of that. Uh, so, it, so, it is kind of like, I think the acronym is, is one way of us saying, what are we willing to take under the umbrella of, of things we want to fight for as a community? And so yeah, and and some and I th- and I think if you look at the critiques of the inclusion of K, um, a lot of it was based on the idea. Well, you know, people who are kinky, particularly straight people, straight people who are kinky, don't really face any sort of legal political discrimination. It's all you know, kinky practices are legal. They're you know, people can do it without the threat of you know violence. You know, in oh my their God. homes. I so hope or- we get letters saying that like they actually do. I'd be fascinated to find out that if there was like some kind of legal discriminatory issues yeah, that yeah. I'm not aware of in this space. And, and if there was, then I'd be more, I think I'd be more inclined to say, yeah, let's, 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 let's talk more actively about this. But I think that the, I mean, the critiques were, or the arguments were that, you know, this is, there is no, there is no government body out there legislating against kink or denying kink people who, who are kinky uh, marriage rights or legal rights of other forms. So there's, there's no, you know, also there's no like systematic violence in the streets or people who are kinky are not, from what I gather, unless there's stats out there that I'm not aware of, you know, facing workplace discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you're talking about in this big P space around the LGBTIQ acronym, then you're, you know, there, there, there is potentially no space for kink there because there is no policy demand to come from this. There is the potential that kink is stigmatised in our community, but there's no... Is there necessarily a policy demand to come from that, a political demand, yeah. a campaign you could run? And so that's, that's why I mean, I'm just... Stig- stigma is part of the purview of that capital P space, I would say. I mean, not, not purely, but, I mean, we do... Uh, part of community organising produces... Community organising produces anti-homophobia campaigns, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Money towards those things comes out of the same structures for... Organ- I mean, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here a bit. I know, but, I know, I know. You know, like, the, the, the money that allows campaigns like that to happen, which are, in lots of ways, quite esoteric campaigns, like a, campa- like a, a public health campaign to, to, to eliminate homophobia, for example, is a very kind of vague demand in lots of ways. Or it's a specific demand, but, like, how the fuck do you achieve that? That... It might be a vague demand, but but the processes that eventually spit out a campaign to deal with that are still very much codified through these sorts of uh, concrete capital P politics community structures, you know, through organisations like the AIDS councils that are funded 
by state governments to produce those sorts of campaigns, which again kind of brings us back to the question of, you know, to justify that spending existing, to justify that funding existing requires the definition of a space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can, you can definitely tell that you have worked in these sectors. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have, yes. Uh, yes, um, and, and that's not a criticism. That's not me having a go. It's just... It's but, just do, I, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind oh, of no, like... I know what you mean. I, like, know, I feel like... Know I don't know mean. where you... Because I feel like rights, for example, is a really narrow way to define what outcomes we can achieve from... Mm. That oh yeah, and you, that you know, capital P political I th- space. I think we've had critiques of rights here um, on this podcast, so you, I think we'd both heartily agree with that. Totally, um, and there are th- like because there's there's work that comes out of that. So t- I'm trying to think of an example. So like I remember a few years back, a a big project. I can't remember who was funding it, uh, but it, but it was in Victoria when I was living down in Melbourne, and it was about engaging doctors. And other people in the medical community to have just like better general understandings of of trans issues and and trans mm-hmm. people, so that we wouldn't get this experience of like trans people going to the doctor uh, for like you know a, 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 I'd heard this story many times of like you know a trans woman goes to a GP with like a, a broken finger or something ends up having to spend um, twenty minutes explaining just like the basics of of trans to that GP, which is like completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and this was a sort of a, a project that was very much, again, like sort of funded within that space and, and, um, and required the codification of transness into a broader kind of acronym to produce a project that was about cultural change, basically, um, and that had really kind of concrete, serious outcomes for people. So, so maybe, and I think this is, is something that you said in the uh, in the response a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago was that you know if, if you know maybe it's okay to have this sort of proliferation of letters that are part of the acronym even if it becomes unwieldy uh, but what we, you know we need people to be sort of making demands that you know sort of making a for case sure, for it for sure um, and, and that's and it's, it, you know and, I feel and, like and the demands have to come it has to be driven by the demands I I think like mm. that where where I get frustrated and, and I can imagine you might feel the same ways is when like inclusion for the sake of it seems to be yeah the and kind so of I've seen I've seen I've seen the acronym that has allies in it and friends and family uh, and I'm like well I don't think there is a group of allies out there that is demanding to be part of the LGBTIQA acronym. I think that that is inclusion for inclusion's sake. I don't, and, and I don't think that there is a political campaign for allies of LGBT. You know, we've had, we've talked about allies on this podcast. It's a term that I can't stand in the first place. <laughs> Fuck but the like, allies. No, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no, <laughs> we love you. Um, yeah. There's no like political demand out there to include allies in the acronym. And it seems to me uh, that that is to me, one of the most ridiculous inclusions in the acronym because it's, you you know, in a city, I think, um, I actually think it was a conversation I had with Dennis Altman, strangely enough, about this, where he was basically saying, like, in in a Melbourne, for example, you're basically that basically means that the LGBTIQA community is almost everybody, uh, and it's the same in, in a Canberra. Like, the you know, if that was the case at my university, pretty much everybody would be part of the LGBTIQA community, and it would just become meaningless. It becomes meaningless when it's everybody. Totally. Uh, and oh so- and I, I love that thing. I think Helen Razor said it when we interviewed her that like. Calling yourself an ally is effectively a way of saying I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. 
Um, and so I think that I think that 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 sort of um, boundary that sort of that sort of tool you used of you know with the, you know if you if you if you've got to make the demand and uh, to be part of it and I think that there also has to be and and this goes back to a point that we sort of touched on before but we haven't really discussed sort of an acknowledgement that there is some form of connection between a, a a form of oppression or discrimination that is based on these sort of gender and sexuality lines that you know that we can that you can see those kind of links i guess that we were talking about you know that the reason these groups are linked together is because uh the discrimination that trans people face is is connected in in ways to the discrimination that um, gay people face through a whole range of different structures. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like if, if there's going to be, you know, we need to have discussions about whether, you know, particular groups do face that sort of similar discrimination. Um, you know, and I, and I don't know who the gatekeepers are of, you know, who gets to be part of the acronym and who doesn't, but I think that those debates are valuable to have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, like that's obviously going to depend. Like the acronym is not consistent across the board. It's going to no. depend on on any given space. I mean, it's tricky. Like, uh, I I feel like you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole when it comes to discussions about like the base, like the shared a shared basis for discrimination. I think it's a really valuable thing to do, but I feel like as soon as I follow that thread, you you can just so quickly get to a point where it's like. All oppression is like linked in some way, yeah, you know, yeah, discrimination of course, of course. Like, cause like the you know you can make the like the really obvious claim or the really obvious point that like uh sexism and and the oppression of women mm. is 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 really 100%. clearly linked to yeah, yeah. to uh the experiences of queer people and, and i i think I think that's absolutely the case, and yet we there there are good reasons and and sort of like intuitively sensible reasons i guess for not just kind of going okay well let's make feminism and and uh queer politics the same thing yeah um, yeah you know and then, and then yeah like, yeah i guess by the same token there are like because I'm, I'm trying to think of um just what what we were talking about these kind of hypothetical uh examples of like making demands and and uh the this sort of process being driven by like issues rather than identities. Oh my god! Which actually just reminds me of that thing. I think I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast, but something that we that you and I I think both were really struck by at the Better Together conference, which we've talked about a bit. Uh, actually, we may have even talked about it in the panel on the live episode of the fact that the caucuses at the conference were built around identities rather than issues, as they had yeah, been yeah, at absolutely. the the kind of predecessor for the conference. The homosexual. I think it was Hannah who brought that up in the in the in the in the discussion at the, in the panel discussion. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, and and to me, that's like just such a. It's so um, really illustrative of a kind of a move towards identity politics, but yep. also points to really clear. I don't want to say solutions, but but ways forward for dealing with some of this stuff. Like I was just thinking, trying to think of examples, as I said, and. When I used to work for the Victorian AIDS Council, we uh, did a lot of work on alcohol and drug stuff. So, so rehab and counselling and and uh, a, a little bit of... And we got into a little bit of political advocacy as well around things like uh, pill testing, for example. Yep. Uh, and, and sniffer dogs and, and a few other things. And uh, that partly happened because we had a CEO, uh, the CEO at the time, I think still the CEO, uh, had come from that space and was really kind of interested in it. But it also made a lot of sense, you know, that drugs are used really often in queer communities, queer gay men in particular, uh, you know, have much higher rates of use. 
and and problematic use as well of of a whole kind of range of different of different drugs. And so we had these sort of political issues that we wanted to work on, which were things like getting pill pill testing machines widely rolled out, you know, decriminalizing various things, you know, getting rid of sniffer dogs at events. And and they were natural places for us to be collaborating with with drug drug user advocacy groups, for example, and and other um, drug policy groups. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that was a really great example of where the those groups became allies to each other in a really constructive way that that was for a policy outcome was that was for a kind of political aim but this wasn't a question like at no point did we have a conversation of like should drug users be included in the acronym yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. which which in in the context of that just seems like such a stupid question and yeah and it seems um intuitive of course of course not drug users aren't going to be part of the question you know and uh, part of the acronym and but I, I maybe I feel when we come to things like allies and friends and families, I feel like the stupid question is being asked and being answered in ways that, you know, would naturally lead down to the path of drug users being part of the acronym. And I think that's maybe some people's frustration with it, that that it um, it is going down that rabbit hole of what you're talking about, of the, the, the rabbit hole where everyone becomes part of it and therefore it becomes meaningless. And I don't know how you solve that. I don't think you do solve it. I think we just need to be able to have uh, debates about it rather than have situations where it's like, this is just now, you know, this group is just now in. And totally, that's totally. Well, yeah, I feel no, like, and-, and I feel like the, the closest thing we have to a solution is, is really the kind of stuff we're talking about now. It's like lead with issues, you know, yeah. let's let's bring it back to what we actually, what do we actually want to achieve by having this acronym? Yes, and, that, and I think that that is potentially... Maybe an inherent limitation of the acronym is that because it is it is an identity acronym, uh, that that makes those de- potentially makes some of those debates difficult or those discussions of, of leading with issues difficult, unless we're constantly thinking about it in that way and we're thinking about it that we have this acronym because it is a way to lead with issues, not um, because we just want to include every every acronym that that there is in there and every, sorry every identity that there is possible and. And, and turn it into this unwieldy thing that doesn't actually that actually ends up sort of making leading with those issues even more difficult. Ben had a pretty interesting chat with a Twitter follower, Twitter fan, someone someone you know. Do you, you Some, know, someone do you? I know? I do know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone you know about our latest episode. And just a reminder: in the latest episode, we spoke about the Me Too movement and consent in gay spaces. Uh, and I thought this was a relatively interesting chat and one that I wanted to um, to, to ask you a question about, Ben, actually. So uh, I thought, Ooh. well, I might just read out Dion's tweets and your response, and then I'll ask you the question. But Dion says, great discussion. Thank you, Dion. Uh, I think the point about enjoying a gay bar grope while acknowledging that someone else uh, wouldn't is particularly useful. I feel we often prioritize pleasure over pain in our sexual narratives. And in brackets, he says, and I think there's a few complex reasons for that. And then Dion also goes on to say, our difficulty also comes in involving our sexual language so that it gives space to those who might not be comfortable but silences themselves, uh, but silence themselves because of inherent masculinity or an environment that makes uh, that maybe makes sexual advancement the default. Uh, and Ben, like I was interested in this because you sort of responded and you said that you know it's interesting to think about language that might look beyond the tone of gatekeeping that is often suggested in conversations about consent. And I was kind of interested in what you meant by gatekeeping and particularly gatekeeping around questions of consent in, in that discussion. Sure. I mean, I, I guess I was thinking about the fact that when we talk about consent, it's often discussed as this thing that's like 
you know, someone like, I, like, I guess in, in the way that like really old fashioned and kind of awful in lots of ways, conceptions of heterosexuality and heteronormativity have been that it's like the man always wants sex. The woman is a gatekeeper who, who can say yes or no to it. Yep. And I think that, uh, you know, just that, like that shitty kind of old argument that says like women are actually the ones with the power because they can say yes or no, which is obviously, you know, awful. And and uh, you know uh, untrue, but I th- I think that sometimes we fall into a bit of a trap when we talk about what consent looks like and what consent should look like. That that kind of repeats that in 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 some ways. That kind of goes, yeah. I don't, like I don't know that that it still becomes about like gatekeeping about like the the need for one person to that one person's just like the one person is kind of the active person and the other person is the is the the passive one giving permission. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a, that's a good way of describing it. And and I think that that kind of like it's such a it's, it's such a gendered way of of, mm-hmm. of talking about consent and, and such a kind of um, hierarchical way of talking about consent as well. And and I think maybe there is, and I feel like this is sort of what Dayan was getting at. I feel like it would be fascinating, and and maybe people are already doing this. Maybe there are kind of projects. Uh, looking at this already that I'm not aware of, but it would be it would be great to imagine what conversations about like I feel like even the word consent has disallows that. it, you know, because yeah, of the yeah, connotations yeah. it has. But like, what reimagining mutuality around sex might look like, mm-hmm. you know, ha- like how can we imagine, how can we conceive of sex that is enjoyable and engaged in. W- willingly and openly by two people or more people in a way that's not that kind of yeah that that sort of gatekeeping language and what might that even look like and what might that look like in a space like a, a gay club for example I feel like that's that's an even more sort of complex requirement for that sort of language to meet but I think it's a really interesting challenge and and perhaps a worthwhile one and particularly an interesting challenge going to the sort of first point he made, made and this was about, you know, we, we spoke about the sort of being groped in a gay bar and how, you know, you and I might enjoy that experience, but some people would find that experience sort of the equivalent of sexual harassment or being sexual harassment, particularly when, it, when there wasn't a sort of, um, there wasn't a uh, verbal consent for that to occur. And so how can these questions about mutuality occur even, you know, it's even more complex when you're not talking about it through um, through verbal through verbal language, but also through physical cues and, and enjoyment at a gay bar where that group might be consensual even if there wasn't a, a you know, even if, if there wasn't verbal permission given in the first place. But then the next person that might occur to that group might very much not be consensual. And and that has and so how do you engage in that sort of mutual um, enjoyment in a, in a non-verbal sense as well as a verbal sense? Mm. And, and, it's, I, and I, feel, I feel like it's so far outside of how we think about this stuff normally I, I can't even yeah I don't know I can't even I can't even imagine what that conversation would look mm. like yeah and I, and I think one of the problems with the language of consent is that it it automatically takes us into the into the to the verbal space where someone has to ask and someone has to say yes rather than the the space in which there can be mutual agreement 
that doesn't require someone saying, would you, you know, are we, can we have sex or can I do this to you? There can be some mutuality around that that doesn't sort of have that sort of active person who asks and passive person who says, yes, you're allowed to do that, but there can be some sort of mutual mutual way of doing that. And I, I, don't, I have no idea how that, how that works. I don't, I don't no, know. No, no, me either. Because I feel like even the sort of, sorts of non-verbal interactions that we were describing in sex on premises venues uh, in the last episode also like feel are, are the same are the same in that they they there's still that kind of active passive dichotomy mm-hmm. there it just plays out differently but I, I, maybe maybe yeah. maybe one thing i would say is that i think that lots of people all of us are probably engaging in this forms of mutual sexual enjoyment and sexual communication probably very frequently but it's how do we transfer that into discussions about consent and about sexual harassment that it becomes difficult totally like what like what totally like where how does that conversation bleed into uh questions of like when things go wrong essentially like, yeah exactly yeah yeah well if like Dion you'd like to get in touch or make a comment you can do so in multiple ways via the internet I feel like every time we sort this Simon I get lumped with the very long spearly oh, it's because bit I haven't changed here. it do you want to shift it around? no no sorry <laughs> it's, to- it's totally fine I will I will give I'll give the spiel uh we have we have an email address, which is queerspodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter at queerspodcast. We have personal social media. See, it just rolls off the tongue now. We have personal social media. I am at Ben C. Riley on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Copland on Twitter. And he's on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. You can also find the podcast on our website, queerspodcast.com. And please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please uh, also leave us a review and rating, which, uh, as we've said every time, helps other people find us. And surely you want to help other people find us. And uh, once again, a thank you to Earbuds, our Melbourne podcast partner. Please go and check out the other podcasts that are on Earbuds. They are really great. Uh, They are, indeed. Uh, And as always, um, tell a friend if you have a friend you think would like the show. Um, Word of mouth is, is super helpful for getting the word out. Thanks as always for listening and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.